0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: Not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in our brother's way. In other words, as he's on his journey to spiritual life development, as he's walking toward God and godliness as a Christian, don't put something in his life that, however reason, even though you have the freedom to do it, that's going to hinder him in some measure on that walk with the Lord. A a stumbling block, or a wall, or they will cause him to slow down, stop, or even worse, go into another direction, right. So it warns us about those kinds of things, that we don't do that, and I... I hope we don't do that. I hope we remain strong in the Lord. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 8 9 says. It says this, same concept. Take heed lest by any means this liberty, this freedom of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. In other words, you could live your liberty so much that you forget that it could be a stumbling block. So be very careful that you don't just live your life without ever thinking that you're going to be seen and heard by others. Then 1 John 2.10 says, He that loves his brother abides in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. In other words, when you abide in the light, and you live in the word, and you love the Lord, and you're doing it for him to help him to grow, you're not going to cause him to necessarily stumble purposely. He may stumble on Christ. He may stumble on the principle. He may even stumble on your good example, but he's not going to stumble on your liberty in Christ that you've abused. Let's look at number two. We talked about... That Talked about how important it is not to deliberately. That means purposely do this. And number two is don't distress your brother. Follow me in the word again. Don't distress your brother. It says, I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus. That nothing is unclean in itself. So you might want to think about all kinds of food. All kinds of drink. Nothing in itself is unclean. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean. In other words, that person now judges it to be unclean. To you it's not. But to that person it's unclean. It says to him and it's unclean. So all of a sudden, in a sense, you are living in the mind of another person's conscience. So it goes on to say, for if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. So let's pause for a moment and go down memory lane. And I'm doing this with care on my mind. When was there a time that I had my liberty and I'm going to hang on to my liberty and I'm going to do what I want and now... That person is getting hurt. And then, how can I say, I love you with all of my heart? How can we say that when it's all about, when it should be said this way, I love me with all of my heart, instead of I love you with all of my heart? All right, so we have to be careful of that. So don't cause distress to them. When the exercise of our liberty causes our brother to hurt, this is going to hurt us now. When we hurt our brother or sister by our liberty, then we're really hurting Christ. And when we hurt Christ, we're really sinning against him because he says, I want you to hang on to your liberty, cap your liberty, so that this other person won't stumble, fall, be hurt, or be devastated so that they can grow. If you really mean what you said, you love that person. Because when you violate this, you're sinning against the Lord. All right? Satan must have done that. All right, number three. Don't destroy your brother. You know, this moves from deliberately causing them to stumble to distressing them, now to destroy them. Look, if you will, in verse 15, it says, do not destroy with your food, that means what you're eating, what you're embracing, what you're celebrating, him for whom Christ died. Now, some of you that are reading this word destroy and you're thinking, does that mean annihilate them? No, no, that's a different word. This is a word that means to devastate them. To bring them to a point of where they begin to question their relationship to God. They begin to question their relationship to you. They begin to think all sorts of things that is not feeding them with the fullness of God in their life. That's kind of like a destruction. It's not so much an annihilation as much as it really brings them down. It brings them to the point of paralyzation in their own walk with the Lord. It really now, and by the way, once it affects them... It's going to affect others. Because as they think in their heart about you. Because of what you've done to them. They now begin to crumble and wilt like a flower. Like a plant that hasn't been watered in a long time. And when that happens now. They begin to affect others. And maybe infect others others and now that family or that club or that team or that job corps or that church or that fellowship group begins to not be as strong because one person now has stepped on the heart and the mind of another person and so that's how the uh what we call destruction comes in Uh, they're not annihilated but they just feel so weak they just begin to quit and now they don't function as well often those are the people that eventually kind of quit the group and quit the marriage and quit the job and quit the team and and then just kind of drift. All right, number four, with your liberty, don't disgrace your testimony. Now, you hear the word testimony, that's a word that's kind of old Christian, like 20 years ago. Another way we would say your testimony would be your word reputation. So if you want to change that word testimony to reputation, then say this, don't disgrace your reputation. That's what you are known by other people. Other people know you by your testimony, your lifestyle, your words, your philosophy of life, who you are, everything that we can now see on the outside of you, that is your testimony, that is your reputation. So you're known by your reputation. So the question is, is what are you known by? What is your testimony? Pastor Dennis and I do a lot of funerals, and we hear a lot of honor that's given to those people that have passed away. And A lot of times it's, I think, a little manufactured and overblown and exaggerated. And we're meaning well, but that happens. But in reality, they are still speaking about that person's testimony, that person's reputation. So my point here is that your liberty and what you do with it is affecting your own testimony. So let's look at the verse. There's actually three of them. Will you follow along with me as I read this to you? It says, therefore, because you don't want to destroy the other person, do not let what is For you, a good thing. In other words, you can do this. For you, it's okay. But when you do it, it could be evil spoken of or be spoken of as evil. So be very careful that what you do, other people might not see it and then judge it as being evil. For the kingdom of God is not made up of eating and drinking. I know we have to eat and I know we have to drink. But it's some of those marginal things that we don't have to eat that And we don't have to drink this. That's what he's talking about. It's not that you can't eat or drink. Obviously, you've got to take care of your body. It's what you eat, why you eat, with whom you eat, how much you eat. And the same goes for drinking. He says, for the kingdom of God is not made up of this. But what it is made up of is the following. And underline each one of these. Righteousness. Is it right? Peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, the freedom that you have, the good things that you do, is it projecting a rightness in your life? Is it projecting peace in your life with others? Is there joy that's coming out of this and it's creating joy in the relationships with others? He goes on to say, For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and I love this and underline it. We choose to do the things that make for peace and building up of one another. See if you agree with this, and you might have this as your go-home conversation in the car. When I was teaching um, small group ministry involvement, I said people often will grow more in the context of a small group than they necessarily will be merely from me-speak-you-listen situations. That doesn't mean it's not this but that. It does mean that in a small group you have more accountability. You can shuck and jive a little bit. You know that it's a place to love. You also know it's a place to be loved. It's a little smaller environment. We can kind of drill down, be more specific. Rather than give you a multivitamin, we give you the vitamin what you need because we know you in that group. That's all very, very valuable. Now, in this situation here, when you're working with people and you want to really reach out to them, you want to do it in a way that there's peace. Because not only in a small group you can do better, but if the small group has a lot of joy and peace and acceptability and trust with one another. That's very conducive for the people to grow. And if there's peace and growth and you're gaining and you're joy and you're reaching out, what does that do? You become a brighter light and more bugs, I mean more people will now fly into you, all right? And now again, you're showing that peace. And what is happening? People are being built up. So, I may have liberty to do this. It is not evil to me. But if I have other people and they judge it as evil, I don't act in righteousness. I don't just play peace. There is not really love. People are not being built up. And things begin to just kind of crumble all around us. So it all goes back again to what is our testimony? And what is your testimony? What do you want to be known for? Getting your way? Having your own way? Me, my, my, my? Me first, itis kind of thing? Or is it all about, I can do this, but I'm going to give it up because I know other people might be blessed. And I just don't want to do that. So be very careful of those choices that you make. So with fellow believers... You don't want to disgrace your testimony by exercising your liberty without thinking of the needs of others when you do this. What the world is, the world sees how we judge and withdraw our love from one another. We judge, we condemn, we criticize. And then people see that and they think, I don't want what you've got and you're a Christian. Your Christianity doesn't work. If it doesn't work, then it's not real. If it's not real, there really is no God and this salvation thing isn't true and you're no more than us. In fact, I'm happier with you in fact happier with my wife than I am with than you are with your wife and I don't do all those things that you do and I don't want what you have so it really hinders the work of Christ let's go to number five shall we and that is don't demolish the work of God now we moved it from our testimony to God look in verse 20 and 21 it says do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food boy you just read that and you just kind of zone out and think about what we're going to do this afternoon but look at that for a moment do not tear down The work of God for the sake of... And you can put your own blank in there. For the sake of something that you have a right to do and a freedom to do. But at the same time, you know the people around you are not ready yet for that freedom. He says here, all things indeed are clean. But they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. In other words, what I'm doing, it's okay for me to do this. But they're evil for me if I do this And it's offending others when I do it. For me, so it kind of has a, kind of a, 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 I don't know, a tension going on. I can do it. Well, if I can do it, I ought to do it. No, you can do it, but that doesn't mean you ought to do it. You can do it, but now you guard yourself because you know how it's going to affect someone else. So all of a sudden, that really doesn't matter so much because I want to help this other person. Now let's go a little bit further in the passage. It goes on to say, It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine. Or to do anything, by the way, eating the meat and then drinking the wine is not really forbidden. It's not saying that. It says it's not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything. So that kind of throws everything into the pot there. So it's not just what you eat and drinking. It could be anything from chewing tobacco to smoking to going to certain movies to playing videos to having television to wearing shorts on Sunday and all the rest. This is whatever you do by which your brother stumbles that's the point. Is your brother going to stumble? Then don't do it. I want to take you back to 1979 now. Carol and I um, moved to the mountains of North Carolina. Her dad owned uh, a lot of cabins on a river in North Carolina, the Smoky Mountains, that were used for tourists during the summer and college kids would use it for uh, kind of dorm rooms in the winter, Western Carolina University. And uh, I... There was no church open for me to be the pastor, but they wanted us to help with the youth department. So I said, I'd be glad to do that. And so what do you think you do? You do fun things with the kids. Teach them the Bible on Sunday. You hang with them. And then because her dad had this place on the river, there was piles and piles of those uh, inner tubes. I don't mean those little cheapy things you see down in Waikiki. I'm talking about those big truck tire inner tubes that were just so cool. And the river would flow. And there was rapids. And we would put them in the back of a pickup truck, take them upriver, drop all the, the people in the, the water with their inner tubes. They'd float right by this, the, the lodge that they had. They'd get out on the little beach area get back in the truck and we would do this all day long. So I decided we're going to do this with all the teens at the church because they've never done this before. And they had picnic area and throwing horseshoes and everything. And I said, you know what? Next Sunday after church, we're going to go do this. So we did it. We piled all these kids from the youth department, brought them over there, put them in the truck, brought them all up the top of the, the, where the river, threw them in the water, put them in with the inner tubes and down they go. You would not believe. I got far more than stink eye from the people that are around us because... Christians do not go in the water on Sundays. They don't watch football on Sunday. They don't play on Sunday. They could watch Disney's Wide World of Color and that would be basically it that they could do. Now remember, you're hearing this and you are shocked because I don't, I don't think most of you or if any of you ever put on long pants on Sunday. You, know, you just live in shorts on Sunday. We just do that kind of life. That's how we live here in the island. We don't think anything of it. But in that culture it was. So now whether I eat or drink wine. Which wasn't our problem. Because it was a dry county. all right. But anything that caused them to offend. We couldn't do it. Now here's the idea. The idea is if I offended them. How then. Listen. This is very important. If I offended those very people. That had an ignorant view of the freedom we have in Christ. How could I ever teach them the freedom in Christ. If I have built a wall between them and me. Because I've used abused abused my freedom in Christ with these kids. So the best thing to do is to kind of rake all these kids in, teach them about how to love people who at that moment are judging them, develop a loving relationship with those that might judge you for doing all of that, and then help them come along to understand the freedom that they have in Christ and how they're to use it for the glory of God and his furtherance of the gospel. And so now you take that little truth that I'm giving you in an illustration with the principle from God's word and you bring it into your marriage. Bring those truths into your family. Bring it into your teams and bring it into the church and your groups that sometimes we limit our freedom at that time so that other person can understand the freedom that we have in Christ at the the time they're ready to receive it. So don't demolish the work of God because you want to have all this freedom in Christ. That's what he's really saying. All right, let's finish with number six. And that is don't denounce or flaunt your liberty. Now, what do I mean by denouncing your liberty? Some of us might say this. I have liberty to go to the river and I could write the air tube and I have the freedom to do that but I'm not allowed to do that. I, I can't do this anymore. And now we look like a Christian that's having a little pity party, a whining party and... Um, like we've been weaned on a dill pickle. And, and now we're condemning ourselves for all of this. And if God's going to be like this. And Christians are going to be like this. I don't want to be like this. And all of a sudden we lose our joy. We lose our intimacy with the Lord. We begin judging. And pretty soon it's not very long that our heart and Satan deceives us to say. You know what? Fooey with all of this. I'm going to go out with the world. I don't need to try to help. I don't need to have a youth group. I don't need to help other people come to know the Lord. I just want to live my life. because I'm so tired of people judging me. And all of a sudden we get in our own little bubble. And at the judgment seat of Christ, there's nobody we can show that came to faith in Christ through our witness or testimony. We can't show all the good deeds that we've done because we've decided to be very selfish with our life. And so what happens is don't denounce your freedom. Realize that you have it. Realize that you have to contain it from time to time around certain people as you're helping them to grow because you don't want them to be hurt. But you still have it. Keep it. Enjoy it. Use it as a tool. I'm glad I had a screwdriver the other day when I needed to fix something in my house. So you need to have it as a tool. But next, don't flaunt your liberty. Listen, you people that don't like the river, you bunch of scallywags. God made the river. God made the rubber. God made the... God made, we're going to go into water anyway. He didn't do that. Did you? you don't flaunt it either. You teach them the truth. Let's look at the verse. It'll say it much better than I can. The, the word of God is so clear. It says, The faith which you have... Have as your own conviction before God. That's your conviction. That's your faith. Enjoy it. Celebrate it. You know it to be true. You have confidence before God. Then it says, happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. In other words, don't put yourself down. Don't condemn yourself because you have that freedom and you can't use it at that time, at that moment. Be patient. It'll happen at the right time. But Then it says, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats. In other words, if you don't have the faith that this is right at that moment, you don't have the clear faith, then don't do it. Because eating, his eating, is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. Uh, Simply put, it is if you don't have the faith to do this, that means you have doubts. And if you have doubts, then don't do it. Pull it back. And this is where the Holy Spirit begins to work in our life, where we partner so much with him. He takes the word of God that you just studied today, and hopefully you'll continue going deeper in in the days ahead. But now let the spirit of God work through you. And he's going to give you the discernment to know how far you can use your liberty. Is it hurting you, your body? Is it hurting your mind? Is it hurting your intimacy with God? Is it hurting your reputation? Is it hurting a ministry you can have in other people's lives? Why are you even using your liberty? What's your purpose for that liberty? And all of that, now all of a sudden you have this joy that goes on inside of you and you have this confidence in, this is the time I can use it. This is the time I can't use it. And so just remember that the freedom that we have in Christ is enough for us to enjoy, but it's to be used to build up other people. So now take the word of God, let the spirit of God work in you and me, the child of God, to build up our brothers and sisters in God, all for the glory of God. Let's pray, shall we? There's much more in your notes that you can look through and go through that might be very helpful and beneficial to you. But I just want you to have a moment to kind of reflect quietly. To the strong believer, Paul says, enjoy your liberty before the Lord, and I want you to enjoy your freedom. I want you to just hold your head up high and say, thank you, Lord, the truth has set me free. Don't belittle yourself in an activity that you deem is worthwhile. If it is, enjoy it. But then now make sure you use it to bring glory to the Lord and that the people around you are growing in grace because of it. You're helping them by your freedom, not hindering them by your freedom. And then don't flaunt your freedom. This way you'll build up other weaker believers in what you have. Think through in the rationale. And to those of you that are so young in the faith, you condemn yourself if you do something that you know you shouldn't do. Some of you still aren't having that freedom yet you might uh, for those that might say well you know I I hear it's okay to drink I I I hear I got freedom to do that so I'm going to go ahead and drink and for some one drink messes your mind so much and you get in a car and you destroy a person's life and family forever and so be very careful understand what you're doing with the freedoms that you have and If at all you're not comfortable yet doing it, don't do it. You sin if you don't have the faith or the confidence to do something. Now some of you might think, oh, I am so glad I heard this message today. But I don't know that I can do this. Maybe for you, you might need to ask yourself, do I need more power to do this? Do I need more discipline to do this? Do I need more... I don't know, inner strength to do this? For those that don't know Christ, there are some that have a lot of willpower, or in some cases, a lot of won't power. I get that. But to sustain it, you need His power to do that. And how you get His power is you have to go in through the door of Christ. And in that room of Christ is going to be the Holy Spirit. He then is going to come inside of you to help you understand these truths and live them out, especially at weak moments in your life. And more than that, he gives you an eternal relationship with him that when you have a bad day, a bad hair day, and you miss the mark, he still has eternal life waiting for you. So maybe for you, the first thing you need to do is say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I've lived for myself, and now I want to live for you. And I want to thank you that you've given your life for me and that the only thing in return is you're asking is that I would trust in you. I can't come to you by a life that I've changed or made promises about, I just come to you with a life of which I'm honest about, and that is that I'm a sinner. I need a Savior, and you are the Savior. And I'm trusting you now for your forgiveness, so much so that I'm going to say thank you for it, believing that you're forgiving me forever. And I have a home in heaven and the power now to live a life that would be pleasing to you, but also loving and encouraging to my family, to my friends, to my acquaintances. Now, those who are Christians here, I'm not sure you learned a lot of new things, but maybe now rely more on the Lord to remind you of these truths and to think for a change about others and not just yourself. Maybe for some of you, it's a personal time of confession. And then for you, you might need to go back to others who you judged and condemned or flaunted or your or your liberty. Or maybe it's you who's got to get over condemning yourself that you have this liberty and now you feel like you can't use it and you're in a box. Don't condemn yourself for that. Just realize that how much Jesus gave up of his liberty to be nailed to a cross where he couldn't even scratch his nose of a fly lit on it. And he did that for us because he loved us and he's our model. And as a Christian, he lives in us. To now die to ourselves. To live for him. Who gave his life for us. Our gracious heavenly father. I thank you that we can know we have eternal life by faith. I thank you that when we fail. We still have the forgiveness of sin with you. But now father we don't want to live a life of failure. We want to live a life of balance. We want to first admit when we've sinned. Thank you for the forgiveness. And then forsake the things we did. That uh, brought us perhaps to that sin. And then through that sin. And now father help us to when we lift up our head and our eyes now look out, that we would now look into the heart of our loved ones, our moms and dads and brothers and sisters and husbands and wives and friendly faith family, the people we work with. Help us to always remember that the freedom we have in Christ, we celebrate that. Thank you that you have liberated us And then, Father, you've given us that governor of the Spirit and the Word to now take that liberty we have and use it properly to the building up of others as we accept them in Christ. For it is in your name we pray. Amen.
0: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida.